We Will Not Be Tamed, a Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation podcast that encourages all Texans to get involved in conserving the wild things and wild places of our state. Here we are again at the caboose. It's had some rain here these past couple days, uh, and it looks really beautiful and green, and the motorcycle guy's going again, which we always enjoy. There he goes. Yeah. He's just quiet the yeah, entire time I've been time, sitting here. Quiet the entire time. <laughs> uh, I want to say thanks to Josh, Spoke Hall Outfitters, uh, for your support of Stewards and Stewards of the Wild, and how they were doing. Uh, thanks to Cedar Clayburg Wildlife Research Institute for their support. Obviously, the Texas Parks Wildlife Foundation. And everybody watching the show, uh, glad you guys are tuning into these and paying attention to what we're doing. We are here today with Lewis Padilla. How you guys doing? Did I say that correctly? Yep. Um, with Buffalo Soldiers, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, That's under right. the State Parks Division. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are watching the show will be familiar with State Parks. We just had Rodney Franklin on the show did. last week. It's a good show. Um, yeah, it was very inspiring. Great show. Um, but we want to have Lewis out to talk about Buffalo Soldiers and what that unit does uh, for Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and the Historic Commission. But, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in partnership with the department. But yeah. um, tell. But before we get into that, like, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, how you got involved with the department, how you got involved with, uh, with Buffalo Soldiers, and then we will dive more into what Buffalo Soldiers is directly. Um, well... Get some popcorn. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I have a very uh, non-traditional story as to my approach into uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, one, uh, I've been around the agency for roughly 30, 35 years. Uh, my mom actually has worked for the law enforcement division for quite some time. Um, so I grew up going to all the expos and seeing the hunting dogs and the skeet shooting and stuff like that. Um, as far as history, I don't have a historic background. Um, history was not my first option. Um, and really, uh, working in the outdoors wasn't my first option, but I'm ultimately glad I was led down that path. Um, my background started with music. Um, I was an entertainer um, in Austin. It was kind of like the right fit. Um, so I learned how to work an audience and a crowd. and. Um, after laying tile for quite some time, I figured out real fast that this manual labor stuff wasn't for me. <laughs> like tile is uh, not yeah. tile's not playing playing music. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not really easy. <laughs> um, so I figured out real quick I didn't want to do that, and um, I applied for a clerk position. It was temporary with Texas Parks and Wildlife, and just happened to be with State Parks, um, and ironically with the Buffalo Soldiers Program. Um, very early off into my temporary position. I saw my boss in the middle of the summertime walk into the office in a full blue wool uniform, sweating bullets, and naturally my question was, dude, what are you doing? It's like 110 degrees outside and you're wearing wool. Um, and he explains to me, I just did a Buffalo Soldier program. And, you know, naturally my next question is, what's a Buffalo Soldier? Um, and he laughed and kind of got upset because he hired me and I didn't know <laughs> what a Buffalo Soldier was. Uh, so he takes the book Buffalo Soldier from William Leckie and like throws it across the room at me. Um, and instantly, I mean, just the first couple of pages, I'm like, there were no black men in the army. He was like, yes, there was. I'm like, I just graduated high school a handful of years ago and I've never seen a picture of this. Like, where are you getting this history from? Um, and that's where my love for that part of history kind of you know started off that's where it grew um and from that point on i was just so interested in learning more and more of the story of the black men in the army because it's something that i 
have gone, what, 26, 27 years when I started without knowing anything about. Um, I knew there was a song from Bob Marley. Everybody knows that one. Um, but I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, so I was instantly blown away, and I started asking more and more questions and wanted to actually go watch them do a program because I didn't know what that entailed either. Um, and from the minute I saw them doing programming, I, I kind of knew, like, I can do that, and I kind of want to do that. Um, it was working with kids and uh, mentorships and things of that nature and uh, unknowing to me uh, since high school and in, into my first dabs at college, um, I was kind of setting myself up to be a mentor and work with youth and, and be a performer, if you will. Um, but this was all unconsciously. I didn't know I was actually getting the skills I needed to do this specific job as an interpreter here. Um, and then we fast forward. Uh, nearly 15 years later, I'm still here. I'm actually running the program now, and um, I think I've done a pretty good job of kind of expanding where the program started and making it a little bit more modern. So now we're here with you guys. That's awesome. That's, That's really sick. cool. You know, <clears throat> can can we at this time kind of just tell people what a Buffalo Soldier is? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the history of yeah. the whole, I'm not just the program, but like Buffalo Soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, your Buffalo Soldiers were your first professional African-American soldiers in the Army, and this is all after the Civil War. Um, and that little phrase that I said right there is kind of what we really try to punch home with our audiences. Um, and the key words are always professional, first professional, because people are quick to say, wait a minute, I've seen glory. There were black men who fought during the Civil War. And they're absolutely right. But those are volunteers, meaning that, you know, had the Civil War gone a different way, they would have just been asked to leave the army again because their services weren't needed anymore. Now that uh, there's no more slavery, um, the next obstacle for the country, um, I would say, is how do we employ these newly freed slaves? Um, your options were sharecropping, or hopefully you've learned some skills somewhere where you can start your own business. But the army was pretty progressive at this time, um, and they passed in 1866 the Military Reorganization Act, which allows the creation of all black units into the army. Um, so were these men called Buffalo Soldiers right then and there? No. Um, this happened later on down the line, and it's said that that name was given to the men of the 10th Cav by the Cheyenne Indians uh, for many different reasons, uh, most common ones being our look. Um, they saw the black soldier and immediately compared that soldier with what they knew in nature being the buffalo. Compared the dark skin and the dark fierce eyes, more commonly the curly hair on top of the head of the soldier, and then my personal favorite, um, since this was a time of war, uh, when you did get into a conflict with a black unit, you had best be prepared for a battle, because they were going to fight just as fierce as the buffalo until the very end. Um, and that's where that term came about. Uh, pretty soon after that, all black units adopted the term Buffalo Soldier, and they used it as a badge of honor, um, and we still honor that legacy today in 2021. How many, how many units were there? Um, there were six, ultimately. When, the, when uh, Congress passes the Military Reorganization mm -hmm. Act, they uh, enlist uh, or enact two units of CAV, so that's the 9th and the 10th Cavalry, um, and there were four units of infantry, the 38th, 39th, 40th, and 41st. Um, I, I want to say roughly around 1869, I, I might be a little bit off on my date, um, but they decided to consolidate the uh, four infantry units to two, and that's where you're left with the 24th and the 25th infantry. 
Um, so for the majority of people diving into history or learning anything about Buffalo Soldiers, you'll commonly hear of the 9th and 10th Cav, 24th, 25th Infantry. And how many people were, were in these? Uh, they, they made up about a good 10% of the Army, um, if not a little bit more than that. I want to say uh, it might have been roughly 100,000 men or so. That's huge. Jeez. So, yeah. Wow. And that, that's the scope. That's, that's where it really hits home. The yeah. scope is this wasn't just 100 guys running around. No. No, it was about 70 men per company. Um, and if you think about it in military terms, the, there were companies A through M, I believe, with the exception of L or something like that. Um, so if you imagine all those units for the 9th, for the 10th, for the 24th, and the 25th, and then you had your scout groups on top of that, it's pretty large. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So where, so how did they, I mean, we talked a little bit this before we started the show, you were mentioning, you know, where did they, where was their territory, like where did they start, where were they sent, like where were they most predominantly, you know, where were they in the, you know. Um, the, the western frontier from west texas on um if you imagine the state of texas um i like to use i-35 as kind of the boundary line mm -hmm. um you can almost take i-35 and place all the soldiers west of i-35 um and after their time in texas they continued west uh, out into new mexico arizona and eventually california and places like that so uh, they were pretty wide reached and a lot of the infrastructure that we have in Texas was due to the black soldiers' work out on the western frontier. So, I mean, they were critical to the whole idea of manifest destiny. I mean, basically, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate what our history kind of ran into because we were a, we we were a suppressed group of people who are now given an opportunity to be seen as an equal man. But unfortunately, we're sent out to suppress another group of people, which is the Native Americans. It's, uh, complex. It's, it's very complex. And that's what I like to actually speak on um, within the program. Um, and that's been a core foundation for a long time. I mean, when you think of Civil War or Reconstruction Era events, people want to see reenactments. They want to see the Civil War reenactments. And we don't necessarily do that with our program. Um, we don't even really focus on battles um, because, I mean, everybody knows what happens at the end of the battle. Anyway, um, I like to talk more, and the program likes to talk more of the relations or the actual person. You know, what was their experience like outdoors or what was their experience like working with or fighting against, you know, the Native Americans here in Texas. And, what was their experience like dealing with segregation and then people from, um, you know, the white communities who didn't see them any different? You know, we really like to look at those comparisons and really bring out that human aspect and that human element of the history itself. Well, you know, it's interesting just because you yourself saying when you got that clerk job, you didn't know yeah. about the Buffalo Soldiers. You didn't know that they, you know, existed. And, you know, it's interesting because I often find myself personally watching movies, period movies, things from that time frame, and you just don't see yourself anywhere other than, oh, the slave role. Exactly. And that's, that's, that disassociates you, disconnects you from that era, from that time period, from, exactly. from American history. Um, yeah. All you know is that your life, all your history was slavery, slavery, slavery civil rights, civil rights, civil rights, segregation, and now we're free and trying to be, you know, a norm or normal. Mm -hmm. Or even being a kid, like, just 
you know, when when you're a kid and you're acting out or playing Western time frame as John person Wayne. of color, yeah, you have no yeah. So it's it's a fantastic to see some place where you can have pride yeah. and say, no, no, we were we were there. People who looked like us were there, and we were doing stuff too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, and again, I think that's what really won me over. Um, yeah, because again, I knew I didn't want to do tile, but I, <laughs> I didn't necessarily think I was going to be a ranger working outdoors and stuff. And when I found that bit of history, just blown away. What so, kind of? But sorry, I didn't mean, uh, go, go ahead. Yeah. So, okay. what is the pro? I want to know sort of so like the program. What's the program like? Yeah. And how does that? You know, how does that inform youth? And how do you guys spread that that message? Um, what the program is like? Fun, fun, and fun. Um, <laughs> You know, I try to make it as fun as possible, and um, I think one of my great, my greatest contributions to the program would have been the hands-on elements of programming. Um, in the program's beginning, they had artifacts, they had trunks and things like that they would bring out, um, and it would introduce people to the Western lifestyle or the older lifestyle on top of the pride built into the history and the story itself. Um, Nowadays, we still do tabletop programming where it's dedicated history programs where we'll cover uh, the inception or the creation of the black units, their time here to Texas, and what their jobs were while they were here in Texas. Um, we'll talk about how they received an education, you know, the different methods of how they learned back then compared to how you learn nowadays. Um, and then what I brought to the program was a hands-on element of it. I'm very much a kinetic learner. I need to touch, feel, and do to really learn and retain that information. It's from and the tile days. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Although I still can't measure. <laughs> I was touching the tape measure all the time, and I can't measure. Um, but I introduced a program called Blazing New Trails. Um, in addition to the general history we do, and Blazing New Trails takes our history as Buffalo soldiers, but gives you a hands-on experience. So my first dive into that was baseball. I very much so love sports, right? Um, and I instantly found that the Buffalo Soldiers were involved in early baseball. Um, the man who they say invented the game of baseball, his name is Admiral Doubleday. He's a lieutenant in the Army, and he actually served here at Fort McAvitt, Texas, um, and he commanded the 24th Infantry. He also requested baseball equipment to teach his troops the game of ball, teach the post the game of ball. So we know there's a direct correlation right there. And then just historically, if you look through the archives and stuff like that, you'll see every military post had a baseball unit, black and white. Um, so great, grand idea. Well, let's play old school baseball as a way to teach Buffalo soldier history. We can talk military. We can talk race relations. We can talk, you know, self-pride and things like that. And it's a non-traditional way to get people outdoors recreating in our parks. Because if they're anything like me, I'm not too big of a fisherman or a hunter, a hunter yet. But if you say, let's go throw a ball outside, I'm there. And I figured there were a lot of kids like me out there doing that. So let's play old school baseball. Let me tell you why I'm wearing this wool uniform playing baseball with you right now. <laughs> and now I have you hooked. Now, hopefully, I've created a really fond memory inside of your mind that you will naturally come back to this park on your own at that point. And, you know, the whole grand idea about it is I've just created a steward now. But, and you talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, I think it's great is that you, you use this as a platform to, to show that what I, you know, what I at least perceive as the black community right now is that if they portray the black community right now as 
not outdoorsy, like yeah. not camping. Don't you? They don't go outside. But then you, you said, I mean, not only is this part of the history of the black community, but that's not necessarily true. Can you, you want to touch a little bit more on that? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I was a part of that problem uh, before my time at Parks and Wildlife. People would say, let's go camping, let's go fish, let's go hunting. And, you know, I was a part of the issue saying, no, we don't do that. I've seen horror movies. We don't make it through the horror movies. Uh, you know, we've all seen it. We're the first to go. Um, and and just being, ex- being exposed to this history, now I can tell people who tell me that, no, actually our people did camp, do camp, and were some of the best outdoor people we had. Um, and we use that history as the model to show them what life was like on the frontier or just being a general outdoorsman or woman. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's so powerful of the message that we can get off of, you know, what happened over 150 years ago and apply it to people today to get them exposed to the outdoors, have them become comfortable with the outdoors and find their niche. I mean, they don't have to be into every single thing that is available out there, um, which, you know, we all know we have a lot available at our parks, but it'll help them find their niche, their, their favorite thing to do outdoors. Oh, that's pretty, that's amazing to be able to, to facilitate that. So these programs, where do they take place? Where, where do they happen? So we're all over the state of Texas. Okay. Um, we're currently a staff of two right now. Um, we had another soldier, but he just retired. He, he was ready to go fishing. Um, And we miss him. Um, But we're a staff of two. We cover the entire state of Texas based out of Austin. Uh, So it's hundreds and hundreds of miles per weekend. Um, And some people ask, how do you do that? Um, And if it wasn't for the volunteers that we have, uh, the partner groups, we wouldn't be able to accomplish half the stuff that we're able to right now. Uh, So we rely heavily on volunteers from the Dallas area, the Houston area, out at the uh, National Buffalo Soldier Museum. Uh, There's a large group of Buffalo soldiers down in San Antonio that we work with constantly. Um, And we used to have a group out west in El Paso, but it's kind of hard to get out to El Paso all the time. It's far. Yeah. Yeah, It's really far. Are these programs in state parks? Are they in schools? Are they... All of the above. Okay. Um, Pre-COVID, we were going to a lot of schools from kindergarten on up through colleges um, where we present more the traditional 45 minute style not lectures lectures make it sound boring I'm sorry for the teachers watching (laughs) Uh, but you know we'll give a 45 minute history program Um, very interactive kind of getting kids involved as we're talking putting uniforms on them all kinds of stuff like that Um, and then we would offer these same style programs or the hands-on programs at state parks um, many of the different uh, historic sites through THC, um, community events, rec centers, I mean, you name it. If it's a large festival and gathering, you're going to find a Buffalo Soldier presence there. So how do, two things. One, because you mentioned something that I, that I don't know that a lot of people know about. Um, one, maybe tell people a little bit what, what an interpreter is, because okay. a lot of people don't really know. And I found it amazing when I learned. And two... How does somebody volunteer to Okay. Help? So an interpreter, the best way I know how to explain it. Um, an interpreter is uh, a, a person who delivers a piece of information and allows you to form your own opinion at the end of it. Um, so I can tell you all day long how great the Buffalo Soldiers were, but as a true interpreter, I want to give you that history, give you examples, and then allow you to feel how you feel about it afterwards. Try to get you to connect with the resource that I'm giving 
um, but have you connect with it on your own terms and come to your own conclusions at the end. Um, interpreters for Texas Parks and Wildlife are mostly our, our park rangers, our, our great park rangers, um, and it's not only delivering or teaching or interpreting history, it's interpreting our natural resources outside. It's interpreting or teaching recreational skills outside. And again, basically getting you to a point where you can come to your own conclusion on it, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, what do you like about it, how can you relate this to your life, etc. Um, and the second one you wanted to know was what? Was the, well, actually, this, a little bit further on that, there's actually certifications in yeah, interpretive? There's, there's yeah, there's national certifications for it, so uh, all of our interpreters will have to take the, uh, the interpretive classes through uh, the National Association of Interpreters. Um, I believe we're considered Region 7. I might be wrong on the number. Yeah. but uh, Yeah, um, they take a, a week-long course, um, and once you get your certificate, you have to continue to do continuing education every year to re-up your certificate. So. It's a an amazing way to engage with the park system. Yeah. It's an amazing way to volunteer in the park system, and an amazing way of learning how to convey information to people. Yeah. The second part of my, my question was, how does someone volunteer with Buffalo Soldiers? Um, call, text, or email me, or even shoot me a message on Facebook. Um, there's, it's not that long of a process. I mean, once we just start the conversation, uh, what I would do for anyone wishing to volunteer is send them to our volunteer management system through the main website. Um, they'll find a Buffalo Soldiers volunteer opportunity. They sign up. I approve them. Um, and then you meet us at one of our programs so that we can introduce you to the whole concept of it. Uh, we won't throw you out on the fire, but we'll introduce you to what we're doing. We'll let you kind of view it and see it and find where your place within our programming or story is. Programming for crowds might not be for everybody. Um, you know, you might be standoffish, and that's fine. We still want you to volunteer. Um, because we do demonstrations of cooking outdoors. We need photographers, we need videographers, uh, we need people to help us set up tents and, and our display settings. So uh, once you sign up, come out, just hang out around the fire with us for a while. Let's find out what your passions are, what you enjoy doing, and we'll find your place in the historic sense around that and build you into our story as well. You mentioned uh, the baseball thing. What are some of the other things that you all have done to like modernize your your messaging for today's yeah, exactly. or youth or whatever the case may be? Um, so we've introduced uh, animal tracking, um, which uh, you know it kind of gives you the, the basics and introduction skills to how Buffalo soldiers, Native Americans, mountain men would have tracked animals and trapped animals on the frontier times. And it's the same principles that apply today. We have uh, three common things that we try to teach within that program. Um, it's animal identification by sight using furs and taxidermied specimens, um, what their tracks look like in the ground using rubber molds and stamp pads. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, there's two more. Um, we try to have everybody leave our program knowing at least how to identify the difference between a cat and a dog out on the frontier, if you see a paw. Um, and that's the rule of X. I don't know if y'all knew that. I found that out just a couple years ago. The rule of X. Yeah, if you take the pad and you draw a line in between the first two toes and draw a line uh, between the next two toes, if you do not hit the center pad, it's a cat. Mm. If you hit the center pad, it's a dog. 
Interesting. Um, so I just learned that. Yeah, I can see ago. that. I can see that with the with the because they're a little longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then of course safety. Leave no trace principles and things like that that we follow. Um, if you go through an animal tracking program, we'll ask you to do the rule of thumb, which is shut an eye, hold a thumb up, and if you can cover an animal that's out in the park or in the wild, you got to save distance to take your selfies and stuff like that. If you can't cover up that animal. Back up some more. Man, they need to send you guys up to Yellowstone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm teach, ready for that. They might need to teach that class up there. Yeah. So I'm absolutely ready for that one. If you got the contact, send them my way. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. Um, but, yeah, so we have animal tracking. Uh, we have cane pole fishing, um, which, again, I'm I'm not the strongest fisherman yet. Um, and I always say yet because I'm still learning. Um, but we teach the basics of, like, bow casting with a cane pole and just really again make that connection to how the soldiers did it compared to how we do it today um we have a biking program because uh, uh, in ni- 1896 i'm sorry uh the 25th infantry goes to missoula montana and they embark on an experiment to replace the horse with the bicycle and they become known as the iron riders um so although that didn't happen in texas it's part of you know our overall african-american history here um, so we go on guided bike rides and we talk about the history of the soldiers, this biking experiment and try to introduce people to the trails that we have within our parks. Missoula, uh, Montana. Oh yeah. Way up there. Yeah. That'd be rough to ride around on a, on a bike actually. <laughs> now, now you know bikes today, right? Yeah. Nice squishy tires, suspension, lightweight aluminum, mm-hmm. multiple gears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These guys did that on uh, <laughs> solid iron bikes, solid rubber <laughs> tires, wooden spokes and single speed. Uh, oh boy! Man. No, so, they're probably pretty fit. The uh, the the last the last ride they did actually took them about thirty two days, and it was it covered two thousand miles. It went from oh, uh, Fort Missoula, Montana, down to St. Louis. Wow. Oh wow! So, oh, wow! Yeah. Is there a, a historic site or a state park that you feel is more authentic than other places that you do interpretation for that? fits your narrative a little bit better um well naturally through the agency we have fort richardson uh state historic site um so fort richardson has very strong ties to the buffalo soldiers as well Uh, so it's always cool going there um through the historical commission i absolutely love fort mccavitt Uh, fort mccavitt is probably one of my favorite places to go um and then through um, just uh the city of saint angelo fort concho um, those would probably be my three favorite ports to go to. And ironically, one's run by the city, one's run by the state of te- uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife, one's run by the Historic Commission. That's cool. um, but they're, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, they really immerse you in the history and give you that feeling of, you know, what life would have been like walking these grounds over 100 years ago. Is uh, there one, uh, like, what's probably your favorite, like, your one favorite cool individual or story that you like to tell people? Like, is there a leader or somebody or just, like, this really amazing story that happened with the Buffalo Soldiers or out in the field or something that you like to share with people? Um, I got two of them, um, if y'all don't mind. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Um, <laughs> the, the first one, again, I'm, I'm big on sports. That, that's kind of my draw outside of sports. Um, and one of the, the cooler things that I found out, um, and this just happened about six years ago, um, was I found out that... Uh, there was a Buffalo soldier stationed here in Texas um, at Camp Hood, which is now known as Fort Hood. Um, and after his short time in the Army, I think it was three or four years, uh, he gets out of the Army, 
but uh, eventually goes on to play in the Negro Leagues for baseball and then leaves the Negro Leagues and becomes the first professional black baseball player. Y'all know who I'm talking about? No. Jackie Robinson. Jackie oh, Robinson. Wow. Jackie Robinson oh, was a lieutenant cool. in the Army, served oh, at Fort... Wow. Uh, Here in Texas. Camp Hood, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, yeah cool. And this is more the modern Army as compared to the Frontier Army, but again, by that time... <laughs> The black men of the army were still in segregated units, and many of them considered themselves Buffalo soldiers at that time. Yeah. Um, I don't have an actual text documentation of Jackie considering himself a Buffalo soldier, but again, that history is pretty widespread by that point. Um, so that's one of my favorite things to talk about, uh, one of my wow factors. Yeah, that's um, cool. The sergeant that worked alongside of him was former heavyweight champion Joe Lewis. Um, it's all nice. kind of very interesting history yeah. right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and then the second piece that I really like to talk about is um, when we're doing these programs, you know, it's heavy emphasis on the men, the men of the military, the men of the military, because women weren't allowed to be in the service back then. Um, but there's one documented case of a female Buffalo soldier. Um, her name was Kathy Williams. She snuck into the Army and changed her identity with her cousins, flipped her name to William Kathy so that when they addressed her by your surname, she was able to respond. Um, and she made it inside of one of the infantry units for two years before she finally was discharged at the Army and wow. um, kind of let her, her medic and her captain know that she was a woman and it's kind of a big ordeal. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, still wow, pretty, that's, that's inspiring, pretty, though. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I want to be as inclusive as possible. And, again, we're always talking to men, to men, to men, even when it comes down <clears throat> excuse me, to the scouts or, you know, the ranchers that, that the Army worked with. It's always the men, the men, the men. Yeah. Um, but this is a way to start introducing ladies to that history, too, because the women were one of the most vital pieces to our survival on the, out on the frontier. If it wasn't for many of the ladies of the frontier, I don't know, we would have done something crazy to mess it up for ourselves. <laughs> I'm sure of that. What, can you tell me what, what drives you when, to, to do this? Like a couple of the things like, that you see this program how it impacts people and maybe some of those light bulb moments as you've been doing this over the years um the history alone is is one of the major driving factors for me like we spoke about earlier not knowing this graduating high school in 99 um and not ever hearing anything about this until 2006 when i started um is a huge driving factor for me to continue doing this because I feel it should be more widely acknowledged. Um, it should have a larger place in our textbooks than, you know, the two or three sentences that they drop in there. Oh, and they were Buffalo soldiers on the frontier. Um, that's a huge driving force. Um, the other, the other driving force behind my passions here, um, is, is my working with the youth. Um, I, again, I, I never would have imagined that I would have been working with kids. Um, honestly, when I was younger, I didn't even really like kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, I found out that I really enjoyed working with them and being a mentor. Um, even as an interpreter or program specialist here, I consider myself more of a mentor to people. Um, and whether it's adult or children, um, I really enjoy making those connections and those bonding moments with with the younger kids in Texas. Um, you know, when you see the light bulb on them, like, wow, my people actually did that. That's it's hard to describe how rewarding that is. Um, 
And I mean, one of the biggest thing that kind of, you know, melts my heart and I'm a big, you know, big old soldier out there um, is, you know, I might do a repeat program at a park or a school and I'll have a kid come up to me that saw me a year or two prior and remembers every single line that I delivered during that program and tells me how they can't wait to see this program again. That's indescribable. Like, you know, I don't try to get emotional because I go into a school looking like a big bad soldier, but, you know, I got to give them the fist bump at that point and uh, I'll go on my social media and talk about it. And I, that That's the driving forces behind it. Um, you know, getting to work outdoors is cool. Um, not being confined to an office every single day you know that's kind of cool too but at the end of the day if it wasn't for the kids i interacted with i don't know that i'd still be around yeah that's amazing you mentioned you had a couple kids what are your what do your kids think of think of all this think of that and uh, they, they think it's hot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they think it's hot i gotta twist their arm a lot to take them outside my kids are very much like me very very city oriented uh, very plugged into electronics um, but with me, um, they don't have any choice. They're going to be drug outside. Um, and it, and it's funny, you know, they'll fight and fuss with me. Um, but once I get them out there, like with my, my youngest son, you can't take the fishing pole out of his hand. I mean, for an eight year old, he will sit on the side of a riverbank looking like an old man just all day long, <laughs> bring it back in, cast it back out and, and he'll enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, my oldest son, you know, he enjoyed the bike rides. He he uh, went on a few bike rides with us, um, and he, I know he enjoys the baseball because he has the athletic comp- competitive side like I do. Um, but I've seen him enjoy just walking a lot of the trails and stuff like that, um, and that's what I catch him doing a lot by himself. is just randomly going for walks and stuff like that. So. They don't necessarily want to be disconnected or unplugged from their tech all the time, but once I get them outside, they enjoy it. They've actually grown an appreciation to it. That's well, I mean, it's an important thing that I think we all strive for is finding that balance between enjoying the outdoors and being unplugged, or how you how you intertwine those two things together. Yeah. So. But I think it's what's cool about this program to me, and you know, I I definitely will be volunteering with you for sure. Is that this is a program that's beyond skills. It's mentorship that's beyond skills. This is, you are instilling a sense of confidence and pride yeah. in people yeah. that may not otherwise have that confidence and pride. And that's the first step to going and engaging and being comfortable to get the skills. Yeah. Whether it's fishing or hunting or hiking or camping or whatever it is, seeing yourself out there and having the pride and, and you're spot on. I mean, if you look at so many of the outdoor commercials, uh, magazine ads and stuff like that, there's not too many times um, that we see a representation of ourselves as people of color. Um, and, you know, whatever the reason it may be behind it, once you begin to see yourself represented in different aspects of life in general, not just the outdoors, you can start to grow your interest within it. You can start to, you know, get curious about, ooh, I wonder if I can do that or where can I go do something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's one of the more important pieces to, to what we do is giving that identification of placement. You know, mm-hmm. you do belong here. You mm-hmm. were here. 
I think it's what what I think is really cool about the the idea of the Buffalo Soldiers as a platform for doing that is nowadays we're starting to see a lot of um, brands in the outdoor space mm-hmm. starting to show a broader spectrum of gender race in their marketing than they used to, but learning the story of the Buffalo Soldiers doesn't just give you this oh the outdoors is for me now it gives no. A historic context, yeah. a legacy. It gives you that legacy, that tradition. Like, I'm picking up a tradition that existed. Yep. Which is pretty amazing. Speaking of that, yeah. We're at the top of the. Are we at the top? top? Of the show. It, well, that's good because it's hot out here. Yeah. Today. Yeah, we're at the top of the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was start. I was starting to question. I'm like, man, am I sweating too much for camera? <laughs> no, no, it's hot out here. But um, we asked this question last time. I think this is what I'm going to ask from now on. But what okay. do you what do you want your legacy to be? Whether that be your personal or your for the department or for the outdoors, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, it's a question I don't think I was prepared for. Uh, <laughs> even even better, yeah. it won't hold you to it. Yeah. I mean, it'll be recorded, so we may play it for you later. Yeah, I think uh, naturally, I would say I would want my legacy one to be just what I've been able to introduce to the program and allow it to continue even after I'm gone. Um, But I think even more than that, I, man, I don't know. This is a really hard (laughs) one. Um, I think I would want my legacy to be a visualization of a very urban individual recognizing, seeing, recognizing, and now and appreciating the outdoors and how that translates to everyone else. I, I like from my story, my personal story, um, to be represented into others who are introduced to what we do. Um, you know, I have so many friends and co-workers who grew up in the outdoors. This is their passion. It's what they wanted to do. And then I have myself and many of my friends outside of work who would have never imagined anything like this. And if my legacy can be that we saw him do this many years ago and now we're comfortable doing it as well, then I think I'd be happy with that. You know, that's an amazing legacy and you're not alone. I think Rodney said something similar. I feel similar. We're, we're going to get this done. Yeah. yeah. Still can't believe y'all got me on after Rodney, man. That's a hard act <laughs> to follow. <laughs> y'all can have a meeting after that. <laughs> Sometime in July when we air these. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, it was awesome. A great, great, great discussion. Um, Want to say thanks again to Josh, Spokal Outfitters, for supporting the show. Uh, thanks to Cecil Claver Wildlife Research Institute for supporting Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation and the Stewards of the Wild. Thanks for Matthew over there working the switcher. Um, thanks to all of our stewards uh, you know, who are paying attention and watching these shows and giving us feedback. We, we appreciate you all. Um, and until next week, y'all, keep it wild. Brought to you by Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. We Will Not Be Tamed calls us all to appreciate the wildness of Texas, the vastness of our Texas spirit, and why we should be inspired to conserve it. 
Find out more at wewillnotbetamed.org.